Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Welcome, 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 church. You can grab a seat. Hey, we want to welcome everyone that is joining us online this morning. My name is Pastor Luke, if we have yet to have the honor of meeting. And we are so excited that you have gathered with us today. If you would, would you bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer? Hey, Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the hope that we have because of the matchless name of Christ Jesus. So Father, we now pray that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see those things that you would have us know and do. And Father, would you give us the courage of heart to put into practice those truths and those principles that we will discover this day in your word. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, hey, I want to echo the words of Pastor Jason earlier. Grab one of these cards, put it in the hands of a friend or a family member that you plan to bring with you on Good Friday, April 15th at 6 o'clock or April 17th for Easter Sunday. It's going to be an incredible celebration. And I want to encourage you to put on your calendar Good Friday. It's an important step in the journey to the cross and to the empty tomb. So we don't want you to miss one of those steps. In other words, it's a sweeter celebration next Sunday if you will walk through the grief and the weight and lean into the tension of Good Friday. So please plan on joining us for that special, special evening. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in Zechariah? Chapter 9, verse 9. Once we read Zechariah, we're going to jump into Luke's gospel, 19, and then also in verse 20, or chapter 24, so we'll spend the remaining time together in those two chapters. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it precedes Luke's gospel by 550 years. It says this in verse 9, Rejoice! O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. About 25 years ago, I received my motorcycle license. And it's something that through the years I've enjoyed riding motorcycles, particularly before I had my firstborn. Uh, At that point, Jessica, at her urging, uh, asked if I would potentially retire from that of riding vehicles in the form of two wheels, and I have obliged her. But what I realized that when I received my license was that I was entering into a community And in this community, there are tribes, there's a hierarchy. At the top, there are those that have Harley Davidsons. And then there's everybody else. (laughs) To the point where in this community, 
everyone who rides on two wheels, they are very aware of everyone who has four wheels. And they take the perspective that people who are, have four wheels are against them. And they're not worried about wrecking on their motorcycle. They're worried about the people wrecking into them who drive four wheels. And when you pass someone who has a motorcycle, there is a wave. You drop your hand and you kind of flick your wrist and you will in response get someone else drop their hand and flick their wrist unless you are not on a Harley and they are, then they will ignore you. We had someone from our district reach out and ask the question of us at Mount Zion, can we have a motorcycle ride? It will start in your parking lot. We will gather, and then from there, we will ride throughout Davidson and Forsyth and Randolph County, and we will conclude at Victory Mountain Camp. And I said, absolutely. I got here a little bit early. I left my bike out in the parking lot, and I came into the office for just a few moments. When I came back out, there was quite the sight. There was about 80 or 90 motorcycles that had gathered in our parking lot. It was quite impressive. When I walked out the door, I noticed in the middle, surrounded by all of these motorcycles, there was a moped. And this brought me great joy. And I laughed, but I didn't laugh internally. I laughed for all to hear. And there was four people that were gathered that I came into contact with first. And I said, guys, did you see the moped that's surrounded by all these motorcycles? Isn't that hilarious? And I laughed. Three of the four, they responded also in laughter. But the fourth did not. He puffed his chest out and he said, it's not a moped. And I said, I'm sorry, what is it? And he said, it's a Vespa. <laughs> and I said, okay. So then I realized there's Harleys, there's motorcycles, there's Vespas, then there's scooters, and then there's mopeds. Rejoice, O people of Zion, your king comes riding in on a moped. In other words, Jesus did not come riding into the city ready for war. He came, as Zechariah said, filled with humility. It's important that we offer a little context into Jesus' triumphal entry. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And the people who were oppressed, where hope had eluded them, finally, the one that they had hoped for, prayed for, ached for, longed for. If this Jesus, if he can conquer death, by raising his friend Lazarus, then certainly he can overthrow our oppressors. He can overthrow the Roman government. So hearts filled with hope, overflowing, they gather. Prior to that, two blind men enter into the very place that Jesus was teaching, and they proclaimed, O oh, son of David, this is a messianic term, 
have mercy on us. And Jesus asked, do you believe that I can do what you are asking me to do? And they did. And in that moment, they were able to see. And they said, we are going to follow you wherever you go. So we see Jesus and these two once blind men and the disciples, they are heading to Jerusalem, this eight-hour journey, step after step of faithful obedience. Why? Because Jesus knew what awaited him at the end of this journey. And you got to think and you got to imagine the number of detours that presented themselves as Jesus faithfully walked that path in which he knew would lead to suffering. It reminds me of the story of Alice in Wonderland where Alice comes to a path and to a fork in the road. She doesn't know which way to go. So she asked the Cheshire cat sitting on a branch, which way should I take? Which way should I go? What direction? And the cat, do you remember its response? Well, where are you heading? And Alice says, well, I don't know. And the cat says, well, then it doesn't matter which direction you take. You see, Jesus He knew his purpose. He knew the plans and the promise that God had for him and for his life. So one step after the other was taken in faithful obedience. And this is where we come to in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the town of Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey or moped tied there. No one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and they found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked the question, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on it. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout, and sing as they walked along, praising God for the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who has come in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, 
rebuke your followers from saying things like that. But Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The crowds, they gathered And the common emotion, the tangible feeling that surfaced among the crowd that wove them and bound them all together was hope. Hope. This was the Messiah, the long-awaited one. This is the one that is going to come, who is going to, with force, Rule who is going to free us from our oppression. So they laid palm branches on the ground. They took off their coats for it to be trampled upon from the riding of this donkey. And they proclaimed Hosanna or Hoshana, which means free us. Free us from our bondage. Free us from our oppressors. Free us from that that has taken hold of us, that has captured us. And Jesus enters into the city. He gathers his disciples and they gather around the table. And there they break bread and Jesus begins to reveal what the path of faithfulness, each and every step that would be required of him. And he told them, there's one that is gathered around this table who will betray me. And that individual did betray him. And it led to Jesus being arrested nailed to a cross, murdered. And when he was murdered and his lifeless body was placed in that tomb, hope was abandoned. Fear, anxiety, more questions than answers began to take root and began to bear fruit. But allegedly, There were some women who visited the tomb and the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. So Luke tells us of a seven-mile journey beginning in Luke chapter 24 that we're going to spend the next two weeks in. They have a predicament, these travelers, and Jesus has something he wants to speak into their lives into the predicament. So Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles, literal interpretation there, 6.8. But Luke, he was a pastor, so he rounded up, all right? Seven miles from Jerusalem, As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And they talked and they discussed these things. And Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. 
And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along the road? And they stopped short. And let's lean into this. Sadness was written across their faces. Sadness, anxiety, depression, hopelessness was written across their faces. Have you ever been there? Are you there? You had so much confusion, so many questions, so much pain, so much disappointment. You couldn't hide it. It was written on your face. Maybe it was the loss of a job. Maybe it was an unfulfilled promise. Maybe it was a relationship dysfunction, something involving your children or your grandchildren. Maybe someone took advantage of you. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe this morning your marriage is struggling. Right here, right now, what is written on your face? One of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves is the gift of being present, which is difficult for us. Because neurologically, you and I were wired. It's a gift, but it can be a curse. We were wired with the ability to be three places at the exact same time. Some of you, you hear my voice right now, but you're not here, you're not present. You're thinking about what happened in your past. I can't believe he. I can't believe what he did. I can't believe what she said. I can't believe that thing happened. I can't believe that I've not healed it yet. I can't believe the loss. I can't believe the circumstance. I can't believe the condition. You're here in body, but your mind, you are thinking and you are living in the past. And some of you aren't thinking about the past, but you're thinking about in 11 minutes and 25 seconds, you're thinking about the cookout that we're going to have or the Cracker Barrel that you're going to experience. Or you're thinking about the spring break that you're about to walk into You're not living in the past. You're not living in the present. You're, you're living in the future. And some of you, you're here, you're now. You have a parent or you have a loved one who is struggling with dementia or struggling with a diagnosis or an illness. And even though you're here, you're thinking about what's happening right here, right now, but not here and now what's happening somewhere else. 
The thing about living in the past is that you can't change the past. And there's a reason why the windshield in your vehicle is so much larger, larger than the rearview mirror because if you live enough life looking at where you've been and not where you're going, you will inevitably crash and burn. And nobody holds the keys to tomorrow. Nobody's promised another second. And we've all lived in the reality of making plans only to have those plans changed and altered because of circumstances that we have no control of. Meaning that there's no reason to live for the next five minutes or for tomorrow because we have no control of it. And it's not promised. And when we do, we're setting ourselves up for frustration, hopelessness, brokenness, disappointment. The best gift that you can give yourself is to be present here and now. So I want to lean into you again with a simple question, but man, it is intrusive and oftentimes violating what's written on your face. Is it loneliness or grief or shame or fear or anxiety? Are you exhausted, worn out? Are you angry or bitter or addicted or broken or insecure? You feel unlovable, rejected. I'm always amazed at how I can enter a room after a long day and my wife, just upon seeing me, knows what kind of day I've had. She knows me so well and loves me so much that before I even speak a word, before I throw up a defense mechanism and say, it's been a good day, fine, she knows. She knows the, the contours of my face. She knows my expressions. She knows me better than I know myself. And infinitely more than Jessica knows me, Jesus knows what's written on your face. He knows what's written on my face. He knows you. He sees through the filters that we place on social media. He sees through the makeup, the lies, the delusion. He knows you. He sees your predicament and he cares. Verse 18 says, then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there these last few days. And Jesus said, what things? You see, Jesus knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows your predicament. He knows what's written on your face. But when he asked the question gently and softly and lovingly, what's going on? He was trying to 
discover and trying to pull out of you and reveal in you those things that you truly believe, those places that you have truly placed your hope. So when he asks the question, what things, he's asking, gentlemen, what do you believe? You know the words of the prophet. Verse 19, they replied, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was mighty teacher in the eyes of God and in all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had, here it is. Hoped, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. The psalmist tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. There is nothing worse than having our hope placed in a wrong place, in a wrong person in a wrong thing. In other words, there's nothing worse than losing hope. How many of us have had circumstances, situations, conditions, and at the end of it, our head placed in our hands, we had admitted, confessed, I had hoped things would be different. I had hoped that this would lead to a different circumstance place. I had hoped not to find myself where I'm finding myself. You see, without hope, seven miles, it might as well be a thousand. This diagnosis that you have received, without hope, it might as well be a thousand. This family situation, this financial situation, this job situation, it might as well feel like a thousand miles. On the entire journey, they're looking for Jesus. They're wondering for Jesus. They're wondering what happened, what went wrong. How did we miss it? Why did we place our hope only to have it return unfulfilled. What's written on your face this morning? Isn't it strange how we show up week after week to church, we, we pray every day, and we're good people that do good things, and we believe but when life hits us in the mouth and life falls apart and we start to struggle and anxiety sets in and depression, we begin to fight it in anger and bitterness. When we're packing up our bag, 
putting our whole life into a suitcase, not because of what we did, but because of what they did. They didn't honor the vow. They broke a promise again. And we've put down the addiction only to have it find us out and we're struggling and wrestling with it. When we are working our rear ends off, but we just can't make ends meet. When we look in the mirror and we just believe the lie that we're not enough. When we realize that we don't have control, or at least not as much as we thought we did. When we question, am I good enough? When we believe the lie that they would be better with a different mom or a different dad or a different spouse. in those moments that we look around and we ask the question, where's God in this? Where's Jesus? And much like the two men traveling along this road, he's right there. He's right beside you. But we are so lost in the confusion and the anger and the regret that we can't see him. The psalmist tells us that we serve a God who does not stand on the other side of our valley, that instead walks with us every step along life's journey Valleys and mountaintops. You see, seven miles without Jesus might as well be a thousand. But with Jesus, we have hope. We have a promise. Yes, we have a predicament. But we have purpose. He's got a plan. Jesus travels through Jerusalem. The scripture tells us that he finds himself looking over the entire city. And he sees them. And he sees what's written on their face. And he sees that for many, hope it is present. But hope oftentimes wrongly placed, it is circumstantial and it is fleeting and it is elusive. The scripture says as he looks over the city, he weeps. Why? He knows the end of the story. He knows what we're going to talk about next Sunday. Why does he weep? Because he realizes that some did not really see him for who he was and who he is. 
So this morning, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, just be present. Just be here now. What is written on your face? If you stop trying to hide it, stop trying to cover it up. If you were absolutely honest this morning, What is written on your face? What does Jesus already know? Name that thing. That emotion, that feeling, that predicament. Name it. What is it that is written all over your face? Do you see him? Do you see him? He's right there beside you. He's closer than the skin that drapes your skeleton. Closer than the air that fills your lungs. He sees you, cares. You are his son, his daughter, and he has plans for you. Plans that circumstance and condition cannot steal away. You have not been disqualified. He has a promise for you. I promise that you can live a life that is free from guilt and from shame and from judgment. He has a purpose for you to spread the news, the good news. You see him. Don't miss him. He's right there. Do you believe it? Father God, grip our hearts. May we believe it. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.